we continue printing the same design or continue printing the same theme of a shirt, people are going to copy it um, and it's going to be hard to sell a product and differentiate ourselves. My name is Felix T, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn what should t-shirt entrepreneurs not waste their time and money on, how to test a design before moving into production, and when is the best time for you to email your customers. Before our show, I wanted to chat about Shopify Ping. It's a free live chat app for Android or iOS devices and it even works on iPads. Did you know that shoppers who use live chats are almost three times more likely to complete their purchase? With Shopify Ping, you can share products, exclusive discount codes, and help customers make purchases instantly. For more information, visit shopify.com slash chat. Today, I'm joined by Brian Weissong from Tumbleweed Textiles, which is a Texas-inspired lifestyle apparel brand that was started by two high school teachers with a passion for fashion, music, outdoors, food, and culture, and it was started in 2011 and based out of Frisco, Texas. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we just said, you know, two high school teachers. So how did you, who was your partner and how did you guys link up? Well, uh, first off, my background is advertising, and I worked at a branding and marketing firm in Dallas and um, felt my heart lead me to uh, wanting to help people. So I found myself teaching actually marketing in the career technology classes uh, in Frisco, and I uh, met a good friend, uh, Jeb Matalich, who was the art teacher at the time. So we actually uh, hit it off. We love a lot of the same lifestyle things, craft beer, traveling, um, and of course, all things Texas. And so I saw him sketching out something uh, during an just an off, you know, off time uh, during a summer meeting. And I looked down at the sketch. I was like, man, that is awesome. That needs to be used for something. And so after going back and forth, we found ourselves starting a, a, a Texas t-shirt company where he would draw the designs and I would hustle and sell and do my best to try to get the product out there to customers. Very cool. And you started off with a, a pretty humble investment to kick things off. So tell us more about that. Like, what did you guys start off with? How much, how much of a, an investment did you have to make? And what did you do with that early investment? For sure. We, of course, wanted to take a conservative approach being uh, high school teachers. And uh, this was one of the things I had a a big dream of growing something big, but it really was just a side hustle. So we each uh, grabbed $350 each separately, um, pulled it together, $700 total investment to order our first batch of t-shirts that we printed uh, from some college uh, kids actually out of Denton. And uh, from there, all was history. We sold those shirts, uh, took back our initial investment. And then from there, took a couple of years, just kept on reinvesting the profits until we could finally one day pay ourselves without any stress. That's amazing. So you just been reinvesting back into the business and bootstrapping this entire thing the whole way? That That is correct. We uh, are a lean company. Uh, we we're pretty lucky and blessed. My wife uh, had a photography business. And so we utilized her skills of doing our photography and our graphic design 
Uh, my business partner, Jeb, would do all the art and product development. And of course, I would do all the sales and account management. So we hustled uh, with, you know, making money from our real jobs, uh, but bootstrapped and uh, just kept on reinvesting the the profits back into our business so that we could grow, you know, product options, more design options and continue to grow it to where we felt very safe and comfortable to start paying ourselves and hiring uh, employees or contract labor to help us continue growing. Mm. Now, when you were first starting off, how did you know what to spend your money on? Because like $700 is not a, a ton of money to get started. So you obviously have to be smart with how you spent your money. How did you guys decide how to spend the money early on? Well, it was one of those things where we knew art and I had a background in marketing Neither of us really had a whole lot of history or experience in shirt printing. So we found some guys that we knew would be affordable, one. Two, came highly recommended. And so we went with them to print our first run of T-shirts. And we felt very comfortable with their artistic touch and quality, that it would be a great product. But of course, we, we were really conservative in our first garment, making sure it, you know, it was something we could afford. And when we started selling our product, uh, it, it was one, we didn't spend a lot of money on advertising. Uh, we didn't initially start with um, a web, paid website. We used a, a system called Etsy to get kicked off mm-hmm. um, to be able to make me, you know, ends meet financially. And then as we grew, we found ourselves where Etsy wasn't enough, and we had to find an option that could take care of our needs of growth and customer service and apps and marketing opportunities. And so that's how we found ourselves over to Etsy, uh, from Etsy over to Shopify, was to utilize those amazing tools and instead of hiring employees, utilize technology to grow our business. Makes sense. So nowadays, now that the business has grown, there's more cash flow. How do you remain? How do you stay focused and um, I guess disciplined in in remaining smart and lean with the money? Now that there there is you know more success and more cash flow coming in. Right. We play. You know, for us, we ch- we didn't chase. We stay true to who we are. You know, with our brand specifically, we wanted to make sure we lived out the lifestyle that we were promoting in our products. And so for us, we didn't have to go spend tons of money getting photography in all parts of Texas. We were already traveling, seeing family and friends. My wife was the photographer. Jeb was the artist. I did the marketing. And so right there in itself saved a lot of money. And as it relates to products, a lot of companies, when they're kicking off, they think, they, oh, we got to make everything perfect before we go. But for us, instead of making everything perfect, we just ate the elephant one bite at a time, launched one shirt and then two shirts and then three shirts. And as our income came rolling in and we saw the opportunity to reinvest that money, we expanded from t-shirts to sweatshirts and then to tank tops and then to glassware, home decor. And so it allowed us to expand our product offering, but we weren't chasing it, we were moving forward as the demand came. And so we knew that every step we took was safe and we were being smart by being good stewards of the resources, friendships, and relationships we had to get to where we needed to go. 
Right. So you said you know you didn't have to you didn't feel like you had to make everything perfect before you you took this next step. What were some things that you knew weren't perfect but were okay moving forward with anyway? Well, our first garment, you know, we went didn't go with the most expensive blank garment. You know, we went with something that was a little bit more affordable, and we kept the hang tag in there, uh, the, the the label in there, so we didn't print our private label. And then as we grew, we slowly took out that tag and started private labeling it with our Tumbleweed Textiles logo and name. And then from there, we were able to, as we had more income, grow into a better garment, which was more quality. And the good thing with that is in the long run, we had far less exchanges and returns because there was less issues with the product. And so we just... Instead of trying to hit a home run, you know, we focus on trying to get the first base and then get the second base and kind of grow with the opportunities that arose with that uh, based off the finances that we had. Right. Now, when you look at other entrepreneurs, especially the ones in the apparel space, because the t-shirts, right, is, is a business model that I think a lot of people, a lot of uh, first-time entrepreneurs gravitate towards. What do you see that they're kind of wasting their time or resources on too much early on that now that you've gone through it, you want to tell them like, hey, don't spend your time, don't spend your money on this. It's not actually important at the end of the day. I think first, uh, people try to spend too much money on creating a perfect product, especially in the fashion apparel business, you uh, spend, you try to hit a home run and you realize you use all of your resources and money and investment into kind of putting your eggs in one basket. And so for us, we started slow and decided to show progress along the way. You know, customers like seeing progress. They like seeing that the product is getting better. The designs are getting better and not the other way around. And if you hit a home run on your first at bat, anything after that, you're you're, you're destined for failure because people have such high expectations. Secondly, I would say marketing. You know, for us, when we first sat down, instead of thinking, oh, Facebook ads and all these different kinds of advertisements and spending putting money in uh, a traditional approach in the the local newspaper and creating an ad there. We sat down and, and thought, let's let's focus on first relational marketing. I created a target with our team, my wife and Jeb, and we focused on the core. And I, and I said, who are our friends and family members that are the lowest hanging fruit? Let's go after them first because they're going to support us no matter what. And that's actually how we kind of got our initial investment back was just selling our goods to our family and friends that wanted to support us. And then the next outer layer was like our neighbors or our our, uh, our coworkers uh, as we're teachers in Frisco ISD. And then from there, it was, you know, it just kept on going friends of friends and friends of friends. And then from there, we thought, I figured, how do we get there? And so it was utilizing things like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And so that we could provide opportunities for our friends and family to repost to reach their friends. So when we started, it was completely relational. And then the second part of that was experiential marketing, where we have a story. You know, we are two teachers, uh, a marketing teacher and art teacher that started our business. We help scholarship uh, anywhere from one to three graduating seniors a year. And so we have a story that resonates with people and that people want to support, as well as hand-drawn designs that people want to wear. And so we wanted to go to different festivals that people would be at that we can tell them our story, have them touch the product, 
And my business partner, Jeb, could tell the story of actually the design. And so we would go to beer festivals, uh, wine festivals, barbecue festivals. Our goal was to go to places that had what I call, you know, raving fans or loyal follow followers. And, and if they're there following that cause, whether it be barbecue, beer, wine, um, education, if they're there for that because they love it, they're probably going to love our brand because it resonates with us. And so those are relational marketing, ex- experiential marketing, and then pop-up shops. Those were our first ways of really growing our business without spending a lot of money. Yeah, I like this approach of starting with the low-hanging fruit, starting as local as possible, starting with the relationships that you've already developed like in real life, right, in person, and then expand from there. Do you find that the products that you create for the, the, the relationships that you already have as local as possible, do you find that those scale up, those products scale up as you get into a bigger and bigger market? Like as you're creating products and designs for like your friends and family, do people that on Instagram that you've never met before, do they still like the same products or how does that, how does your product catalog change as you expand your market? I think it's critical to expand because especially in the t-shirt business, everyone can make a t-shirt. They can, everyone can find a local printer. And so if we continue printing the same design or continue printing the same theme of a shirt, people are going to copy it. Um, and it's going to be hard to sell a product and differentiate ourselves. So for us, Jeb and our design team is always thinking ahead of what's the upcoming holiday season. What shirt can we design to that holiday or what's the up- upcoming um, sports season or what's some uh, trending elements in the Texas culture from beer, wine to uh, Topo Chico and what they call ranch water where you take Topo Chico and, and tequila and you make a drink. So just kind of uh, hot cultural um, trending things. And that's how we base our designs is following the trends and following the demand of our customers. And how do we know what the customers want? It's by utilizing social media. You know, we have 40 some thousand followers on Instagram. So we're able to utilize Instagram and Facebook analytics as well as Google analytics to really have a better understanding of the demographics and psychographics of who our customers are so therefore, we're able to then better create products to reach our audience. Got it. Now, when you are first starting off, when you don't have like a so like a forty thousand person following, how do you iterate and learn and improve design? So, from that very first T-shirt design, how did you guys get the the data, the feedback that you needed to continue to uh, create better and better designs? And, and 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 better in this case means that, in my in my opinion, it means that a, a design, a product, T-shirt that people people want. We pride ourselves, one, on handcrafted art. Therefore, people expect that from our team. Now, of course, we have some things that are font-based, um, but Jeb and Hillary, my wife, actually, who is uh, one of our graphic artists as well, they start everything in their sketchbook, and they draw it uh, as a sketch. And then there's a process that goes from a sketch to you know, processed into uh, a digital form where they can add color. And then, of course, it goes into the production side where we print the shirt. 
And that process of quality comes from little things such as adding more colors. When we started off to be thrifty, we try to stick with one color prints only because it was more affordable. But as we grow, we start learning that people like additional colors on their shirts. And so we are adding quality by adding more tones or more colors, but our team uh, better under, you know, they understand the production process of how to utilize two colors to make two or three, you know, three, four colors so that we're remaining thrifty while in the eyes of our customer adding quality because there's more colors in the yard. The other aspect is growing product options. So we take one design and we put it on a t-shirt, which is our core competency, and it's successful. Then we quickly try to promote that design to glassware from pint glasses, wine glasses, growlers, to home decor where people actually put it in their house, office, or dorm. And then, of course, hats where we embroider it onto something that is not just a graphic design, but now it's embroidered onto a hat or a shirt that people could wear, which takes it up, you know, it takes the value up to another level from a screen print to an embroidery piece. Got it. So you definitely want to talk about the the additional new product lines that you created in, in a bit. When it comes to t-shirts, though, you're mentioning that you're basically creating uh, designs almost like uh, it has to be it's almost like super timely, right? It has to be for a certain time where it's 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 super popular or it's a, you're catching a particular trend or a wave. What is what do you find is the lifetime of a shirt if your focus is on creating designs that are kind of centered around the centered around themes like holidays or centered around whatever is kind of popular right now? Like how long does how long can you expect a t-shirt design to last? Well tumbly textiles exist to not just be a t-shirt company, but a lifestyle brand. And so when we design our products, it's very much driven towards the lifestyle of the Texas culture. And that's not what you think what you would think of Western wear, but it's Marfa, Texas or Austin, Texas, from Austin, you know, Austin City Limits to a, a country concert. And so our products are very much seasonal based. And so the, the lifetime of our designs can be dependent on a holiday, could be dependent on weather. And we right now currently have a few designs that are still our best sellers today that were our best sellers four or five years ago. We have a, a shirt actually is called the Texas Towns that Jeb created actually before our company ever existed. And we, of course, it translated to a great T-shirt for our business. And that still to this day is one of our best-selling shirts. And we right now have over 200 some retailers throughout Texas. We have served over 1,000 retailers since 2011. And so the differentiation of our shirts' success is not only dependent on what we do on Shopify on our website, but also on how our wholesalers are selling it and merchandising it within their stores. But because of our private label in the neck, every time one of our wholesalers sells it at their store, we might sell that one shirt through them, but many times we will have two or three shirts sold on our site because they saw the branding in the neck, which led them to our website. 
Makes sense. Okay, so you mentioned that you are able to. I guess the design process here is that is it originating from within the company first? Like the the ideas, the the um, the seed of a design has come from the company inside the company first, or is it more like data driven from these Facebook and Instagram insights? Designs are very much uh, inspired by the lifestyle of Jeb my wife, our team, and of course myself. And so those themes come from music, food, uh, the, what I call the craft, beer, wine, whiskey, to just, I guess, uh, wanderlust, the explore, exploration of Texas from the mountains to the, the rivers to the ocean. And so most of our designs come from legitimately our lifestyle, our passions, our travels, the things that we do. But then there are many designs that come through the requests of our retailers. We have some large retailers that will have five, six plus stores throughout Texas and even the United States. And so if they come to us asking for a specific theme, we, we will determine is the volume going to be worth our effort and time? And if so, then we make sure does it represent our brand well and represent who we are and what we believe in. And if so, then of course our team will go to the drawing board and create something cool that will translate also on our website. And so those are really, that's really the heart and soul of the inspiration behind our designs. But we certainly take in consideration our customer based off the analytics and information we gather on social media and on our website sales is as we see the demand grow in a specific theme, for example, plant-based shirts. We found that our Yellow Rose of Texas sold really well. And so we decided to create a blue bonnet and then Texas wildflowers, wildflowers. And so if we see a theme that's working, we definitely will exhaust that to make sure we're providing our customer the shirts that they want to wear to represent our brand and represent their pride for Texas. Got it. So the inspiration comes from the lifestyle of the actual company and the people in the company, the 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 input from the retailers, and then of course seeing themes around what's selling. So when you when you talk about when you're looking at the Facebook and Instagram insights, how do you actually use that? Like, what are you actually looking at? Do you have an example of maybe a design or a product that you guys created based on just looking at like analytics? Because I think that's a place where most people that, are, especially when they're starting out, they can work from there. They can work from from looking at doing some kind of research on data, but they might not have any, you know, retailers yet. They might not have any sales yet. What What's an example of looking at raw data and actually making a decision on a product that you guys ended up creating? Well, step one, my co-owner, Jeb Matalich, he has a Instagram handle, Jebediah Texan. And that's kind of his personal uh, Instagram handle uh, as an artist where he many times will showcase sketchbook designs that he's worked on before we've ever launched it. And based on that, we will evaluate likes and comments that are on that to determine, okay, this is a design that we need to move forward into production on a t-shirt. So that's one way. Secondly, we use Facebook pixels where we're able to gather data of what gender uh, is visiting our social media and what's their behaviors? What images are they liking? Which images that we're posting are they commenting on? Which ones are being shared? And then through that process, we're able to evaluate 
there's certain colors of garment that are more popular. It might be black, charcoals, navies, blues, but we might find that green is never shared. And so based off that, we're able to use logic and say, okay, maybe we'll do less green shirts and more charcoal or, or black. And then we start evaluating people have more city pride. And so if we see those images being shared or liked, then we will do more city-based shirts versus Texas-based or lifestyle-based or shirts that should be uh, designs that need to be on tank tops or long sleeves. And so we utilize that interaction to make judgments on what we should sell uh, and make live on our site so that we're being good stewards of our resources and not taking nearly as big of a risk each time that we print a shirt and make it available to our customer. Got it. Okay, so you are basically just creating as much content as possible, putting in front of your audience and see seeing what gets most engagement. That could mean early prototypes slash sketches that you guys are coming up with. It could just be sharing lifestyle photos and seeing what, what particular lifestyles resonates most with your audience, seeing what kind of colors they, they're sharing that they're liking the most and just working off of that. So create a lot of content and seeing is the best way to throw things up against the wall almost and see what sticks. Exactly. And, and in addition, it's we know who we are. And, and therefore, if we know who we are, we really know who our audience is because we, we're reaching people like us. And so when we go to concerts, when we go out to eat with our families, when we are doing things in the community, and when I say that, it's not just Frisco, Texas. It's all throughout Texas when we travel in the summer, spring break and whatever it might be, is we see what the trends are. We see what people like. And it has nothing to do with our brand, but we start better understanding where the trend is going in Texas. And and when you listen to music, you start seeing and hearing where musicians are taking things or celebrities, like in the, you know, in the state of Texas, you got people like Matthew McConaughey that are synonymous to the Texas culture. So when we watch those things and are constantly evaluating things on Pinterest and Instagram, looking at images and comments and competitors, and looking at other brands that we love. We're always inspired not to copy designs, but to just crazy ideas come to our design team's mind, which inspires something that they are able to curate, create, and put on paper which eventually makes its way onto a T-shirt for us to sell. So, you, so you—it's it's kind of like a, a qualitative aspect to it, right? You, where you are just—you just need to immerse yourself in that community, in that lifestyle, and that's where you will uh, almost like prime yourself to come up to to open yourself up to these designs, open yourself up to knowing what your customer wants by being involved in the community itself. So, you mentioned uh, experiential marketing and mentioned that going to events, doing pop-up shops was one of the first ways that you're able to expand outside of your your media connections so you mentioned that you go to these events you guys are telling your story can you describe how this works like if you if you if there's a listener out there that has a story that they feel like they can tell are you just going going to these events and setting up a booth and talking one-on-one with customers or what is the actual day like when you are going out to these events and telling your story as an entrepreneur or startup you have to have the mindset of looking at everything that you do, whether it be sales, accounting, management, working with employees, every aspect of the business is an investment for what might come. And so many times brands will go to events 
to sell their products solely focusing on the immediate sale. But for us, we went to these events, of course, wanting to make our money back to pay for our booth and our tent and whatever it might be. But we had the desire to make sure we shook as many hands as we could, talk to as many people that we could, and tell our story. Tell them about how we got started and our mission and our purpose and where we hope to go in the future with our brand. Talk about the things that we love. And what we found is we started making a lot of friends. And when you make a lot of friends or tell your story and get a lot of buy into your brand, instead of spending money on advertising, you now have tons of walking billboards going out using social media, telling people exactly why they should come check out our brand. And so at these events, we wanted to make sure we sold our product, showcase as many of our designs that we could, and create our booth space in a way that allowed people to come into the booth to shake our hand and hear a story. As an example, you know, you put a table between you and someone else, that's kind of creating a barrier. Instead of putting a, a table in front of our booth, we created a U-shaped space by a 10 by 10 tent where people were invited into our booth to kind of be synonymous to community and interaction and relationship. And as they came in, we wouldn't overly sell them. We would just talk to them. And if they happened to buy a product, that was great. And if they didn't, we felt good knowing they walked away feeling better about our brand so that there might be a seed planted that they might come back later to our website or to a future event and want to buy a product then. Hey, Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Got it. So now when you are, uh, when you have an inkling of a story that you might want to tell, that you might want to spread to to your customers, how do you refine that? I'm sure it's changed over time. You've gotten better at recognizing what parts of the story, what's, what, what resonates most with people. How did you guys refine the story that you're telling about your brand? As we tell our story, you kind of watch people's reaction to the words that we say or the, the things that we do. On social media, you see the things that people repost or they like. And through that process, you start finding the things that people appreciate and the things that maybe we appreciate more than what they do. And so through that process, you start refining the story to tell the tidbits that people actually care about. And of course, what we're passionate about, you know, we're not trying to sell something we don't care about. We're telling our story because we love it. We appreciate it. And we're very excited about it. We're not telling our story just to sell a product. And so that's how we kind of refine that process. And then through conversation and, and interaction with people, you, you start realizing, okay, this five sentence, uh, little pitch of who we are and what we do needs to be scaled down to one sentence. And then instead of using my words to tell our story, let people see the printout and we create a marketing card that we hand them. So they're able to kind of read as they shop. And then we kind of hook in at the end of thank you. Thank you all for coming. Uh, check out our Instagram, check out our website, you know, some kind of hook that connects them back to us. And that's probably one of my number one encouragements to starting entrepreneurs or people starting their first Shopify site is Shopify is a tool. It's an opportunity to be a hub somewhere that a hub is the host of quality content, the hub or host of, of course, your product and your story. And so your goal is to do events, utilize Facebook, 
utilize Twitter and other social media, utilize marketing cards, utilizing email marketing to get people back to your site. You don't want to tell your story and lead people away. You want to tell your story, promote your product to get back to your site so that when they're on your site, you're collecting data, you're showcasing your product, and then you're able to then reconnect to those people, hopefully through a quality email marketing program like Clavio, where you're able to then continue re-engaging those same people over and over um, as they hopefully buy your product and show interest in who you are and what you're providing. God. Okay, so when you are in person or posting on social media your, your story, I think we often have a tendency to to be more enamored by our own, our own story than others, and kind of want to talk more about our story than what other people might care about. Do you have examples of things that you guys have learned that just 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 in general, all customers don't care about that maybe the entrepreneur, the the owner, tends to care about more, like things that you recommend people look or scrutinize at cutting out of their story. I think the part of a story that resonates with customers is knowing who you are and what you do and why you do it, seeing that there is an, a give back component to the brand, that there's a greater good than just the product. But the reality is a story is great, but there, there's some math to it. A great story plus a great product plus a great creative design is equals the excellence of who we are. And that's exactly why we've been able to grow our product. So a story alone is not enough. You've got to have a quality product, but you got to make sure people know that there is a quality product and there's a story behind of how it was developed so that they have that desire to connect. And I think of English as you know, a teacher, pathos, ethos, logos, connecting the people logically, ethically, and emotionally. And you got to find a way that connects to people that resonates with them so they want to come back and purchase your products and support um, the cause of what you're supporting. Got it. Now, when you were able to move beyond the relationships, the media relationships that you have with the, the people that um, that you knew or that you're meeting in person, where did those sales come from? Like when you're selling online only to basically strangers or people that you've never met before in person, how are you able to generate those sales? So there's a couple components or channels of sales that we utilize. We have, of course, our B2C, B2Consumer, which is through Shopify, which is our favorite part of our business. Secondly, our B2B, and that's wholesale. And right now we have utilized a, uh, a different website than Shopify to sell to wholesale. But now with Shopify Plus, we've actually grown into the Shopify Plus program so that we are bringing our B2B and our B2C under one, one house, one platform. But then we also have custom where we do custom design work for different brands, companies, and corporations that we sell to. And then we're actually uh, opening a brick and mortar store in Frisco where we're selling our products direct through our brick and mortar store so that people can come see and touch and fill without paying shipping. And then from there, buy an extended amount of product on our site down the road. Got it. So when you talk about this, you talk about B2C through Shopify, you can talk about wholesaling with retailers, you talk about custom design work and then brick and mortar store. Was this the kind of progression of events where you went from one to the other? Like, is that the order that you recommend other people follow if they are interested in doing something similar? Events are great because it's one weekend or one day and you go and sell your product, get to go home. And so that's a less risky 
way to sell a product, but I think the natural progression is to have your own website so that you're able to tell people who you are and tell, uh, uh, connect, uh, Instagrams, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, things to your website. And then I think the third progression is wholesale. The thing is, once you get to wholesale, there's a lot more account management, a lot more touches, uh, as it relates to customer service. And so I would say wholesale should come after typically the building of the brand and the selling of the product to the customer. Uh, and then having a brick and mortar store obviously is a bigger risk. It costs money to create your space. You have to keep it open, pay electricity on a regular basis, hire employees. And so that, that's been our natural progression as the demand has, has grown it, to, uh, to grow our business. Mm. Now, how did you know to expand to different channels rather than just like doubling down, reinvesting back in just like one channel? Let's say if you were already successful in the events or already successful in B2C, like why not continue to pursue that? Or what was the decision? How did you make the decision to expand to other channels instead? Well, initially, we never had the goal to do wholesale or sell on wholesale. It was just never even a thought in our minds. Our original goal was to do events and to sell on our website. But we actually started having retailers come to us asking if they could buy bundles of our product to sell in our store. So we started off more of a consignment model where there was no risk on the retailer. It was the risk on us. So we would basically loan them a certain amount of product and they would sell it. And every at the end of the month, they would owe us some money. And if it didn't sell, they could return the product. And when we found that that was being successful and that we were able to increase the quantity of our printing, which allowed us to lower the cost of goods sold, we started realizing this is a great way to lower the cost of our product to be able to sell it on our site and make more money. So we were able to somewhat bring more focus to our website sales and enjoy our website sales more by providing more products because wholesale was driving the quantity to lower our cost of goods. And so really for us, it was just following demand and the inquiries of different retailers throughout Texas wanting to sell our product. Got it. Now, I, I, we'll focus on the B2C channels. I think that's where most people that are listening are, are have their experience. So you talk to us about social media is the one of the very first touch points, the very first place that people learn about you. But your goal is to move them into your email marketing program and then retargeting from there. So I want to break this down a little bit. So what is how do you get from social media over to getting their email into your email marketing system? Our website. Shopify allows us to download various apps. And so we have downloaded the apps of Clavio. And of course, we've connected uh, through the functionality of Shopify. We've connected Facebook and Pinterest, Instagram, and, and anything that we can connect to it that we're utilizing on social media. And so it just naturally uh, syncs together and it's able to collect data and information. And so as orders come in, that's one form of collecting data. As people sign up through our, you know, our email marketing requests, like, hey, join our TWT tribe, they sign up there to get coupons and different discounts. That all syncs into our Clavio program that in Clavio, we're able to then send out email marketing. 
And so it's not that we're utilizing Shopify to get people to our social media. It's that we're using social media to get people back to our website. And then we're using our website to integrate data into Klaviyo. And then in Klaviyo, we're able to automate processes where we have a welcome series. So when someone signs up or buys a product for the first time, they automatically get a welcome email series and email one tells people about who we are and what we do. Then in about three days, we send out a second email where it tells people about our product, how we create it and the inspiration behind it. And then the third email will of the welcome series will actually explain the lifestyle of our brand and give people uh, an opportunity to buy a product with a coupon code or free shipping. And then we also utilize Clavio to do uh, things like abandoned cart. People add a product to their cart and they walk away. Well, they will receive an automated email to try to hook them back in with a discount code or what a reminder to just try to get people to, to remember to buy the product that they showed interest in. Here, I just want to dig a little bit deeper into the email marketing. So you have your email list that's being built either through existing customers or coupons and discounts when they land on the, the website to get them on to incentivize them to join the email list. And you talked about a welcome series that kicks off because once they are on it, which talks about who you are, tells people about the products, how it's created, the inspiration as a second email, third email explains the lifestyle. And then also, I think this is the very first point where you will actually try to ask them to buy something. Present them with a product with a coupon code or free shipping. Are there any other automated emails that come after this? Like, what is the entire, I guess, life cycle of someone that joins your your email list? For us, we we currently have more returning customers than new customers, which is great. And a lot of that is because we continually engage our customers via email marketing. But our email marketing that we send out, we don't send it out daily. We don't send it out weekly, uh, always. We send it out when there's a need or a new product or a reason to reach out to our customer. And what we found that is as we send more emails, the more sales go up. And yes, from time to time, we'll lose customers uh, in our email marketing because they they might say they're no longer interested. But we also find that for every one we lose, we, we grow three. We have customers that will forward it on to friends because there's a coupon code or a new product that we've launched. And so email marketing and then, of course, social media, those are the two primary ways that we're able to engage our customer to keep them in the know, as well as to provide quality content. And it's not about just selling a product. We might do the five things that Jeb, my business partner, and I are digging and we might share a, a movie that we like or f- our favorite local restaurant. We might have a post that talks about some celebrity that was seen wearing our shirt. And so when we do our email marketing campaigns, it's not driven by sales, but it also is driven by quality content, providing our customers with something of interest that they might find helpful uh, throughout their weekly endeavors. Got it. Okay, so what's the balance that you find works between content-only emails versus the emails that are either announcing a new product or just pushing them to check out a product that's on your website? We organize and schedule our launches based off our email marketing. So for us, we find sending our emails out on Friday is, is the optimal time for us 
because people are expecting those emails and then they have a whole weekend to read the email and potentially make a purchase. And so we find that consistency is very important to email marketing campaigns, but then also utilizing holidays and special events to package the launch of products or to package the promotion or sale so that it's not just something random, but there is a tie into either, you know, a Christmas, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, something random, uh, Texas Independence Day, or it's National Taco Day. So we try to find ways to tie it in that makes it fun or more engaging for our customer. I got it. So basically look for a reason beyond, hey, we want you to buy this product to reach out to them, whether that is around a, a holiday or some kind of, um, uh, like you mentioned before, some celebrity might be wearing your, your T-shirt, like something that is beyond just your company's reason. Like it has to be something that they might care about. That makes sense. Now, you mentioned abandoned cart is what you also, uh, you also have abandoned cart email set up. What, what, what seems to work the best for you guys to get a customer to, that, has, that has abandoned the cart to come back and complete the checkout? The most success we found from our abandoned cart campaigns is that it is sent within 24 hours. And not only that, but there's some sort of coupon code attached to it. Now, we found that sometimes people might purposely put something in the abandoned cart to get that discount code, but we're okay with that if they make the purchase. So I would say the most important thing is within 24 hours and then have some kind of hook that reminds them to come back. And then the third is in our campaign of abandoned carts, it shows the abandoned cart or the products that were in their abandoned cart that they they put in there. And so it's a quick reminder of, oh, yeah, that's the product that I like or I love. Because sometimes people might add something to their abandoned cart or their shopping cart when they're on the fly, like at a red light or when they're at work. And so it's just a quick reminder the, to say, hey, don't forget this. Uh, you need to buy it while supplies last. Okay, so let's talk about moving on from the, the, the t-shirt focused business to additional new product lines. So how did you guys know what to, actually, what was the thing that you moved on to next? What was a new kind of product category that you guys moved on to next? How did you decide that was the right move? With our product, we found that people appreciated the design more than just the garment. And so we knew it was a natural fit to put our art on decor because people were asking for that. And so we wanted to provide an opportunity that people could take our art and put it in their dorms or their office to showcase their pride or their lifestyle. We also found that a lot of our customers, including ourselves, we loved to, uh, you know, just casually s sit by the fire and drink coffee or um, sit outside and drink our favorite drink. And so that is where our progression to glassware came because we found that it was easy to put our design on that same glassware, but it's a way to sell that, expand that design to a new product that still represents the same lifestyle. And then now we're actually in the process of growing into custom button up shirts that are also representing lifestyle of hiking and fishing and kind of a preppy lifestyle where it's not just a t-shirt, but it's taking some of our designs and it's manufactured into a fresh new button-up garment 
because we found that you don't always want to wear a t-shirt if you go on a date or if you want to go out somewhere nice or if you go to church or somewhere that you might have to dress a little bit nicer. And so we've progressed to take those designs and put on something that people can wear in a little bit more uh, nicer or preppier occasion. Got it. So you basically, you realized that the designs were what was selling and you looked at how they spent their time. Like what was the lifestyle? What is the lifestyle of your customers? And then look for places, opportunities to put the design on the products that your customers are already using, the kind of situations that they're already in. Like how do you get the designs in those situations as well? Like beyond just, you know, hanging out, wearing a t-shirt, like you said, they might be going on a date. That's not the opportunity for, for, for your design to, to, to exist and your brand to exist. Now you mentioned to us um, that your goal as a as a leader at a company, your goal is that to be focused on the things that no one else can do. Like that is your focus. The staff you hire, the technology automation you set up is to free up your time so you can focus again only on the things that you feel like you can do. So tell us more about that. Like what do you like to spend your days on? Like what if you could only if you could focus on only one thing? Like what is the the the, the most important thing for you to focus your time on? I love focusing my time in managing people or interacting with people. So I love management, encouragement, inspiration, motivating, and I'm a, I'm a visionary. And so I like setting vision and creating goals and standards and then having a team that can, that it can get in the nitty gritty micro parts of our business that can make it happen. And I also love marketing and branding. I love communicating the essence of who we are in everything that we do, building consistency in our look, in our colors, in our fonts, in our branding, so that people can see a connection in all the different elements of uh, our marketing and, and our product so that they keep on coming back for more. And so uh, I would say management, marketing, and, and branding are the three things that I love most. Awesome. So when you talk about setting vision and goals, like what is the vision? What is the goal for the next year of the business? Well, for us, it's we are opening a new store in Frisco, a brick and mortar location that I'll be sitting in every day working on my computer and then helping serve our customers as they come in. So a goal is to expand our uh, our our employees to have people that can help work in the store. Um, to grow our design team, because right now we're unable to keep up with all the design work that we have and that we can take, you know, opportunities to pursue and is to create more efficiency, utilizing technology to automate our emails, to automate customer service, to automate the things that technology and Shopify provides us the opportunity to use so that we can utilize people to make those things happen and to solve problems. Awesome. So tumbleweedtextiles.com is a website, T-U-M-B-L-E-W-E-E-D-T-E-X-S-T-Y-L-E-S.com, tumbleweedtextiles.com. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience, Brian. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.